On today's episode, we will tackle the coaching side of Major League Baseball. Former player and current New York Mets pitching coach Jeremy Hefner joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Off-season for us. We're about to get started with our fantasy baseball coverage of the year. Just a couple of months to spring training. Can't wait. Hope uh, the lockout gets uh, decidedly uh, ended pretty soon, and uh, we get back to uh, seeing games and uh We've got a very special guest uh, tonight. He is the pitching coach of the New York Mets. He actually played for the Mets as well in the 2012 and 2013 season, winning 15 games for them. Very special welcome to the Beat the Shift podcast to Jeremy Hefner. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, our pleasure. Thanks for coming on. And, you know, before we start the show, um, can you tell us, what has been the highlight of your professional career thus far, either as a player or as, as a coach? Oh man. Uh, wow. It's a deep question. Um, <laughs> probably, um, I'll reference Trevor on the, on the previous, uh, on the previous podcast, like making it to the big leagues was definitely a career highlight for me. I mean, that's every kid's dream, um, is to pitch in the big leagues. And, um, I got the, I was fortunate to, to get that opportunity and, um, that was definitely the highlight of my playing career. I think coaching, um, yeah, getting to interact with, with some of the guys that I get to interact with and, um, you know, the best, the best ever do it and, um, to get to learn from them as much as I'm trying to teach them. Um, I get to learn from those guys day in and day out. So that's, it's just, it's a career highlight every day for me. Right. No, it's fantastic. And you know, now that you're the pitching coach for the Mets, uh, we're talking a lot about preparation and how you prepare players for the game. H- how do you prepare mm-hmm. pitchers in terms of both the physical and the mental aspects of the game? Sure. Um, yeah, so it's not just me um, that's that's preparing these guys. Um, ultimately, it starts with them and their want to and like kind of how their um, mind works, um, how they tick, how their engine runs, um, what type of information they want. Um, what type of information that uh, they they may uh, find useful that they're not using yet. Like, how can we get that information in front of them, whether it be from our analytics people or from, um, you know, another coach or another player. Um, and that's in terms of game planning. Like, it kind of comes from that's that wing of our of our group whether it's me giving um talking through a heat map or talking through a a statistic or um a pitch quality um or whether it's some of our analytics people or our advanced scouting people um talking through a lineup and you know where they may go into the game if we're talking about a reliever or if it's a starter how we're going to navigate um you know the middle part of their lineup in a in a higher leverage situation earlier in the game those such things. And then from a preparation, from a physical preparation standpoint, like we have a great performance staff from our physical therapists to our trainers, to our, our strength conditioning, to our dietitians, to our cooks. Um, you know, we try to take a holistic approach with the Mets and um, try to use um, all the resources available to us from every arena 
and um, to, to set these guys up for success day in and day out. So I asked Trevor May this on our past episode, but in terms of preparation, would you say that it's more about having the players execute their own strengths, or would you say it's more about studying the opposing team and making them pay for their weaknesses during a game? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's the it's the age old question. Like this is the question that's been in baseball forever. Um, you know, ever since guys started to think about themselves of ha- as having strengths and the hitters as having weaknesses, you know, this is the question. Um, and I love this question. This is um, this is the chess match of our game. Um, who, what pitch am I going to throw? Is it going to be my my number one pitch, or is it going to be my number four pitch, or is you know, you're terrible against sliders, so am I just going to feed you sliders the entire time? Well, the hitter knows that I'm probably going to throw sliders the entire time, so can he adjust even though he's not good at hitting the slider? Like all these types of little nuanced, um, the nuanced part of our game is, is what I love. And so I think it depends um, is probably the best answer that I can give you. And I think it depends on, um, I think there's a talent component to this. And, you know, how good is the pitcher versus how good is the hitter? And and then you kind of, um, you know, build a decision tree off of that. And, you know, if, you know, if I'm better than the hitter, then I'm going to just stick to my strengths. If we're, you know, kind of on the same playing field, then I'm going to kind of uh, mix and match depending. And then it would be count dependent, right? If I'm ahead in the count, then I'm going to stick to my strengths. If I'm behind, maybe I need to go more towards their weakness or or if I'm like myself um, as, a, as a major league player where I was kind of an up and down guy and um, I kind of had to navigate um, this confrontation differently, maybe I went slowly uh, to, the, um, to the hitter's weaknesses because I was more of a command guy, more of a control guy, and I, and I could do that. Um, so that actually was a strength of mine was to go after their weaknesses. So there's different ways to look at this. And um, so I think, I think ultimately, you know, what, what is the guy comfortable with on that night? Um, you know, what are we working on in between his outings? If it's a starter, if it's a reliever, you know, quality, he doesn't get as much time on the, on the mound in between outings, but you know, how are we thinking about his pitches? Are we, are we messing with a grip? Um, how's he feeling? Is he, um, you know, what can he execute in and out of the zone, depending on the count? Like there's just so many different avenues we could go with that question. Uh, and that's why I love our game because every night's different. Um, and you know, you just never know. So it's, it's great. What would a typical game plan consist of? Would it consist of how many times would the order a starter would go? Would it consist of, you don't want a certain batter in the lineup to beat you a certain night or something like that? Yeah, sure. Um, now you're talking more like game, game theory, game management, um, not necessarily like how you're, um, attacking a hitter. Um, you know, I think the third time through the order, obviously it's real like it's backed up by the math and it is a real thing um so then i think it's my job as pitching coach to try to find a way to um lessen the effect or find a way to um navigate that third time if we need that guy to pitch deeper into the game um whether a bullpen shot or um, you know, it's a blowout one way or the other, and we, we need, we need our starter to, to go. And, um, yeah, so I think, I think there's things that we talk about before the game that, um, you have some like general 
guidelines or a foundation you want to work off of. Um, no different than a chess or any type of game, uh, basketball or football. Like there's always a plan going into the game. Now the game can sometimes present itself differently where you may have to deviate from their original plan. Um, but I think as long as your process is sound and as long as you're making, you know, sound decisions based on, um, you know, some, some pretty good data or um, strong experience, um, then I think, I think it's good to, it's fine to deviate from the plan. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how we do it. Um, obviously we don't have a manager at this moment in time. Um, I'm the only person on our staff right now. So like, and this all depends on who all's on our staff and how we're going to operate, but that's kind of how we've operated over the last two years. And from a pitching run prevention, um, point of view, like that's probably how we'll continue to operate because that's how most of our industries operating during the during the whole offseason one of the uh, game plans that a lot of the teams implemented was using an opener have the mets ever as a philosophy ever considered using an opener or is that just based on the manager or is that based on the team philosophy yeah we we used an opener a couple times this year um i can't remember if we used it too much in 20 but in 21 uh, miguel castro opened a couple times aaron loop uh opened a couple times um i think tommy hunter actually opened against atlanta so um yeah so we we deployed that that um i think we had 38 pitchers this year so we we were um yeah we were kind of doing everything we could to prevent runs and openers been proven to work and um so we, we deployed that a few times yeah and tommy hunter was on pace for a shutout or a perfect game actually if uh if you uh project it out for full nine innings right um, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> I remember that game. I remember that game. Um, you know, I want to talk about the bullpen and, um, you know, as, as the pitching coach, do you have a say in who that night is going to be first in from the pen and who's next in from that pen? Or is that something that's totally manager related and that you have to prepare for? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's tough to answer that question like right right now, like moving forward into the future, right? Right. Because um, we don't know who our manager is, but um, yeah, kind of how it operated in the past is we would have it, it was that was all part of our plan going into the game. Like, you know, we wanted you know one of our uh, a a particular bullpen piece to face this part of the order and a particular piece to face this part of the order um, because that pitcher's strengths matched up best, or they were just better. Um, which is which is quite often the case, and often the case with some of our guys because um, they're they're good, and so and with that, like I think there's this uh, I don't know what the right word is like connotation of like I there's unbelief then with some of our pitchers, and like that's not the case. I think I think for me, I try to look at it as um, you know we're setting our guys up for success. And so if we get them into the game in a particular spot, like we are setting them up for success and, and everyone's on a different career arc. Every player is on a different career arc and, and some guys need to gain experience in lower leverage situations. So they, they can become that high leverage weapon. Um, and, and likewise, like some guys used to be in that high leverage position and now they're, they're, they're at their point in their career where maybe they're a little bit more in the medium leverage and they're, they're doing many more things outside of pitching, but they're they're helping the younger players know what it's like to pitch in high leverage and, and helping me coach. And 
um, a lot of the things that you don't see in the box score that um, maybe some some older players are, are doing. So, so yeah, I think um, it's all part of the plan. And um, it depends on, um, there's a lot of things that go into that. Like if the guy's throwing on a back-to-back night or a back-to-back to back, um, you know, how what's his workload been over the last week? Um, you know, where are we, when's our next off day? Um, is there rain in the forecast? You know, like all these things, um, you try to consider um, while taking into account the health and well-being of the player while also winning the baseball game, which is very important. Speaking of health, the staff is getting a little bit on the older side. How do you plan on keeping the the pitchers healthy throughout the entire course of the season? Yeah, I think it's um, it comes down to communication um, and communication between all the parties that support our players. And then the the players communicating with us what they need and how they're feeling. And then we can tell them what we see. They tell us how they're feeling. Then we get to a point where we're, um, again, we're setting them up for success. We're not overworking guys, but we're also using our weapons in a way that leads to the most wins possible um, while sustaining, because they're, they're not good if they're on the IL, right? Like they're, they're not helping us win. And so we have to make sure that we're, we're like towing that line between overuse and using them properly. And so, and that comes down to communication. You know, that's the player taking care of themselves on and off the field. And that's support staff doing everything in our power to make sure that they're healthy, taken care of, supported, um, communicated with, um, all those things. Now, one thing that may happen is that some pitchers may come to you and say they need an extra day off, or a pitcher may come to you and say, I don't want an extra day off. I want to keep pitching. Do you find that some pitchers benefit from extended rest? Some pitchers don't benefit from the extended rest? Yeah, that's tough. It's, and it's tough to like quantify this. Um, or at least in my experience, it's been tough to quantify it. Um, like the whole, if I give this guy two days off, like he pitches better. Like I, I just haven't found that to be true. And the, and likewise, I do think, however, I do think that if a guy pitches back to back, like there's definitely, um, you know, you can, you can prove this in the, in the data that there, there's a bit of a drop off and stuff, whether it's lack of swing and miss, um, lack of strike throwing ability, um, whether that leads to more walks or you're in disadvantage counts or whatever in the back to back situation. So, um, you know, I, I tend to think like if, if we could have guys throw multiple innings, um, on a given night and then have them rest for a one or two day period and then throw multiple innings again, probably going to get the best out of that, out of that guy. That depends. Right. But just generally speaking, um, but there are some guys who, you know, the old rubber arm, right. Um, they can, they can go out there and they can throw it you know, 15 to 25 pitches and then get out of a jam. And then the next night they're right back up there and they actually work better when they're used more. Um, and, and it just depends, right? That's, that's the communication piece. And that's the um, getting to know your players and um, trying to figure out if they're competitive. Cause I played this game. Like you want to be out there, like even when you're sore or, you know, maybe you're at, you're operating at like 85% of your normal 
capabilities, like you want to be out there and you want to help your team win. Um, and, so, and so trying to, and then that's our job as a staff is to make sure that we're still, even if they're at like 85%, should they be in the game right now? Yes or no. Uh, and then being okay with, with the outcome. Yeah, and I guess that's where, you know, you come into very close contact with the players to really get their vibe and their pulse and, and to, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, the, the you have the the right formula to win, but, of course, you're developing the players, and, of course, you're going with your best despite, you know, if, if they're not 100% on the given day. And, you know, this is the Fangraphs podcast, so we do have to talk a bit about analytics here. Um, just <laughs> generally, do you consider yourself to be an analytics-heavy pitching coach? Uh, did you say savvy? I, I said analytics heavy, but uh, oh, said, heavy. We'll, we'll heavy. throw in savvy also. Savvy. <laughs> we'll throw that into. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say that I am. I, I'm a user of information. Um, I think analytics gets a bad rap, um, and I think it can push people away at times. And I just don't think that that's. I don't think that's helpful. Um, and, uh, and it's not like, I know what analytics means, but for some guys, like analytics is, is, is a bad thing, um, because for whatever reason. Um, and so I think I, I use information and, well, first I try to have a, a subjective view of whatever I'm thinking about, right. Whether it's, uh, pitching mechanics or a pitch type or, um, you know, how we should pitch a particular batter. So I try to have a subjective view of that, which has been done for 100, 100 plus years or whatever in baseball. Then the, we have all this information now that gives us an objective view. And then I try to see what the difference is or if there is a difference between my subjective view and the objective view. And if there is a difference, then then we have to make a decision, which way do we go? And then furthermore, like in terms of learning and growing and trying to understand and trying to be the best that I can be for our players and for my organization, um, like what what can I learn from that difference? And is it is it just my bias or is it something that I'm just wrong about or has is it is it just a small sampling is a small sampling issue where um you know like the data isn't you know there's no correlation so like we're we just gotta um you know with certain things like it's it's okay to 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 go towards the subjective view um not not, not a lot so in in that regard like i think it's tough because the game is played every day and it's very nuanced but there's so much data and you play so many games that yes, if I throw my slider 80% of the time, like I'm going to be a 40% strikeout guy over the course of 162 games. But tonight against Ronald Acuna, I don't feel good with my slider. Like it's not coming out of my hand. Well, it's raining or whatever. Like I got to throw my fastball 80% of the time. And, and like, maybe I don't get the punch out. Like it's tough, right? Like it's all these things, all these little, little questions that you can't have an objective view because there's not enough data to back it up. That's where I, that's where the game is right now on a, on a coach level for me. Um, I, I have the macro, like I have the big picture 
and I know what to do on the big picture, but on the micro, on the on the on the on the lowest level, on the pitch level, um, like it's raining, I can't I can't hold the slider. What do I do? Like that's the question, right? It's not it's not so much like what's my best pitch. Like clearly, the slider is my best pitch. Just say I'm a, a generic slide. I'm a slider heavy guy, and I, I need to be 80 percent slider. Like yes, if I do that over 100, 162 games, like I'm gonna be I'm going to be dominant. I'm going to be a 40% strikeout guy, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling, rambling a little bit on the tangent, but like, I would say that like, I, I try to use the information to um, find my holes, find my biases and, and uproot those and, and try to um, be the best that I can be for our players. That's probably the simplest way to answer that question. Yeah, and, and I think you're hitting on a good point about the use of analytics and gut, you know, against it. I mean, uh, I, I'm an analytics guy. I'm an actuary. I do models and statistics all day long, and obviously I do the work for fan graphs. And I, I do projections for fan graphs, and, you know, I have people, listeners asking me all the time, when do you follow projections and when do you go with your gut? And my answer I always give is, you know, you take – I take the projections and I take the objective analytics view unless I know information to the contrary in a certain situation. And, you know, you mentioned, hey, it's raining. I don't feel so good. Maybe I shouldn't pitch to Acuna. I mean, that is where you have to supersede the information that you get. You know, analytics tells you the the long-term average. This is what you should do in the long term. But, of course, you know what it mm-hmm. is on a night-to-night. And it's funny. You know, I remember a couple of years ago in the World Series where you had uh, Blake Snell pitching for the Rays, and he <laughs> was just going great. And if that year, Blake Snell didn't pitch a third time through the order. I think five innings was his maximum for the year. And everyone complained, oh, my goodness, why isn't why are you you're not leaving Blake Snell in? Oh, my God, why are you taking him out? You shouldn't be doing that. And my answer to that is, you know, it worked for the Rays for 162 games that the game plan was Snell goes for five innings and that's it. It got him to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Why would you not differ from that point? Can you can you see that kind of case where where you would say, well, you know, you go with the analytics because that's what you sh- it says in a long term, and deny the gut that says it. But it's the World Series. You got to go for it, and and who cares what the analytics says? We got to go with the guy. Like, where do you d- divide the line with that? I think it's an interesting thing, and curious to hear about what you thought of the the Snell situation and and similar situations. Yeah. Oh man. That's a tough one because um, I wasn't there. Like it's so, it's so easy to armchair quarterback this thing and yeah, um, but but it's really you know, it's really the root and it's really the root of the of you know here's what the analytics say yeah. and when do you veer off it and I, I would think that that's something really at the heart of what you have to deal with on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure, and and you got to make tough decisions, right? Um, well, I don't necessarily the manager does, but like I'm I'm a part of the staff that makes makes decisions like how are we going to to plan out this game or how are we going to try to um how are we going to try to win this game today and i i have to assume like i don't know kevin um and i don't know their process in tampa but it seems pretty sound and they, they probably have a plan and um the plan was probably to do what they did and they stuck with their process and what they kind of laid out for the entire season so it's really um, being a process-driven um, guy. Um, 
it makes a lot of sense why they took him out. Um, but from a fan and from <laughs> a, just watching the game and like and rooting for the for the for the human for for Blake and for um, like where he what he was could do in that situation the World Series and like um, it was tough for me to watch him take him out right so like it's it's a um, I think from a player's view and from a fan's view. Um, I, I was sad that they took him out, but right. from being a process oriented guy, like it makes all the sense in the world. And I think if I was in that position and I had set up some sort of process and we were going to ride this process out for the entire season, then, um, it makes sense. Right, right, right. No, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, and I'm not sure how much you can answer this question, uh, you know, divulge any information, of course, you know, don't divulge what you can't, but you know, what, what are the two or three important stats that you might look at in analytics, or maybe, maybe what are the important visual video aids that you might drill down to help pitchers, uh, you know, get the best out of them? Yeah, I think it's, I, um, identifying, um what guys do well and sometimes they don't even know that what they do they don't even know that they do something particularly well and so you have to illuminate that you have to bring light to that and help them understand why they um they have this potential of a you know whatever um elite pitch where they could throw it 60 70 percent of the time and it's um you know swing and miss pitch and they, they can turn themselves into you know, from a contact-oriented pitcher to a swing-and-miss type pitcher. Um, or they're a, um, yeah, or, or it's location-based, or um, there's lots of different ways to go. But I, I tend to look at first, um, you know, I, I look at two different things. I look hand-to-glove, so we're talking ball flight, um, you know, where the pitch is landing, um, location, movement, horizontal, vertical movement, um, velocities, um, those types of things. And then I look uh, biomechanically. So first movement to release, um, how they're how they're moving uh, or, um, you know, what's their intent? Uh, like, do they look like they want to try to throw hard or are they trying to command the ball? Um, you know, is there room for velocity gain? Um, and that's without even knowing like pitch scripts and knowing the human and how he learns and, um, those types of things. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking in the margins, right? You're trying to find guys, uh, who trying to find something in, in each guy that you can, you can just get just a little bit better, um, you know, over the course of 162 games, or if it's 32 starts for a starter and it's, you know, 65 70 games for a reliever and you you um just marginally make their stuff better um across the board then you know but you didn't really do a whole lot to the to the athlete um you just kind of helped everything whether it be location based or uh added horizontal movement added vertical movement positive or negative and um you know added velocity you do all these things and then maybe you turn a, a guy that's slightly above replacement level into a guy that's uh lined up to be a a millionaire a multi-millionaire over the course of his career 
All right. Time to have a little fun here. Time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, since the World Series is still kind of fresh in our minds, I wanted to ask this question to you, Jeremy, because I think one of these names may have some importance to you. Since the DH era began, who are the only two pitchers to hit a home run in the World Series? Would you know that? Oh, man. Wow. Hit a home run in the World Series? That's the toughest mm-hmm. question you've ever asked, by the way, Ruvain. Well, <laughs> if, you watch, if, if you watch the World Series, they did mention it, so. I did watch the World Series, but I th- sometimes I turn the volume down. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> okay. Um, well, well, I don't know. The first answer is Ken Holtzman for Oakland in 1974. The oh, wow. other is okay, Joe Blanton no for the Phillies in 2008. Who is that? <laughs> Who is that? Now, Joe. why is Joe Blanton important? Any Anything in particular? Uh, Can you think of anything in particular? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Joe... <laughs> I hate bringing this up, but I, I hit a home run off Joe in the big leagues. <laughs> and and wasn't that your, also your first big league win as well? Correct. Correct. So yeah. in your first big league win, you hit a home run off of Joe Blanton, who actually, during the course of the game, you actually also gave up a home run to future Mets AAA catcher Brian Schneider. And the Mets hit mm-hmm. two home runs that game. You hit one, and Jerry Harrison Jr. hit one, pinch hitting for you, which was actually a kind of... Oh, wow. And also, yeah. that game took a very tidy two hours and 33 minutes, which is yes. a very interesting thing. Um, the good old speaking days. Of, speaking of the DH how era. The, how in the world did you get to that? If, that, that, was, that was a pretty uh, – I'm pretty impressed, Ruben, that you really drilled into that one for Jeremy. Wow. <laughs> well, l- listen, awesome. we, I don't know if Jeremy knows, but we are both lifelong Met fans. So we've seen everything, and, and I, I probably remember that, but I, it's, it's so long ago. Um, not, to, not to say you're old, but it's so long ago. Um, would you be happy if the DH became universal? Oh, another tough one. Um, again, I think it kind of goes back to the to the the Blake scenario. I think from a player's view um, and from a, a fan's view of the of the national, I'm a National League guy. Like I, I was drafted by San Diego. I played for the Mets. I finished my career in AAA for the Cardinals. So, like, I only know National League. Um, I I grew up in Oklahoma. I still live in Oklahoma. Like, Cardinals were right here. Um, I'm in Cardinals Nation. We we obviously have the Royals that are close and the Rangers that are close as well. But, um, like, I'm a National League guy. So, from that view, I don't don't want the universal DH. If you're asking the coach – I do want the universal DH. I think the the injury risk component um, is just, I, I just don't want my guys getting hurt hitting. Um, and I have some, I have some really good guys that, that can swing the bat. They're athletes. Um, you know, we did a num- we did a really good job the last two years here um, for the most part, getting our bunts down, but, but putting back to ball and, and creating some runs. And so, um, yeah, it, it's a tough one, and I'm kind of riding the fence a little bit on it. But I think, I think for me, um, and where I'm at right now, um, you know, if I wasn't coaching and I was just a fan, I would, I would still want the pitchers to hit. I would want to keep the in up because it, it changes the way you manage a game. Like it puts so much. There, it's different. It's a different game than the, than the DH game. Um, and so, yeah, I'm gonna ride the fence on it. 
Spoken as a true NL fan, and, of course. And, well, and speaking of other rule changes, are you still are you for or against the three batter rule, the extra inning runner starting at second? I mean, this must change your game planning when it comes to being a pitching coach and knowing how to use and to when. Yeah, so actually, I've I've actually enjoyed the three batter minimum because it's forced all of our guys to to pitch better. Right. Like they're not there's not just left only guys anymore. Like you got to come in and you got to face a righty. You're going to have to face a righty just the way they construct lineups now. There's not there's never three lefties in a row. So that would be a good trivia question. Like when's the last time there were three lefties in a row? Not switch hitters like true, true, true lefties. Um, and um, so I think it's forced guys to to pitch better. Um, and, and I don't think it changes too much of the. Um, strategy of the game or those types of things. Um, as far as the extra inning rule, like, I don't know, like, um, it certainly makes the, you don't have any 19 inning games and stuff like that and completely burning the bullpen from, so from that perspective, I like it, but um, I don't know. I don't like giving up runs. And so like, there's a guy at second base to start the inning. Like it's, I don't know. It's, Again, I'm going to ride the fence. I don't know. Like, ultimately, it's it's way out of my control. I don't have it. I don't really have no control over it. So, like, whatever they, whatever rules we're under next year, I'm ready for them, and we're going to go out and win as many games as we can. And speaking of burning bullpens, are you for or against players, position players pitching? And do you do you give them any tips or anything when you when they go out there or anything like that, or you just say just go out there and just throw the ball over the plate? I am for position players pitching, um, especially if um, they can pitch. <laughs> no, um, like I enjoy watching the, the guys that can that can go both ways. Um, hopefully there's more of that coming. I think that's I think that's great for the game um, from a from a fan's view. That's got to be super cool. Um, yeah. And I actually try to tell them to throw slow. Um, so most guys will try to get up there and they'll try to throw it as hard as they can. And they end up in that, that 82 to 86 mile an hour range, which is like batting practice. Um, but if they stay under 80 or in that 75, 70 to 75 range, um, that's where you get guys, they'll start topping it or they'll pop it up and it'll just get off the barrel. So, um, yeah, throw slower. Don't throw harder. Well, I top out at 65 miles an hour, so I guess if you guys are You'd be pitch, perfect. There you go. <laughs> I'll come in in the— uh, You'd be perfect. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so we, we had a lot of Mets, uh, Mets mailbag questions, actually. Uh, I know that you can't talk specifically about uh, players due to uh, some of the circumstances, but uh, we have a couple there. Uh, Josh asks, well, um, you know, you're going to be getting Max Scherzer on the team. Is it going to be strange coaching someone older than you? Um, I guess you can answer that because uh, just talking about uh, coaching people that are older than you in general. Yeah. I've, so we had guys that were older than me over the last couple of years and then even going back to my time in Minnesota. Um, it's really not it's really not strange um, because we both want the same things. Um, the player wants to do really well. The player wants to win. Um, and that's what I want to do, too. I want to I want to be a part of a group that is uh, growing and learning and um, challenging and uh, has some accountability. And when you have more experienced, uh, when you have some experience on you and you're an experienced player, 
you can really bring a lot to that type of environment and culture. All right. Michael asks, do teams overuse their bullpens in general? And what about the Mets? Hmm. Um, yeah, it's tough to answer that question uh, for the whole league because I don't know each individual guy and what they're actually capable of, um, how they feel on a given day. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I would say that uh, I would say generally teams are not overusing their bullpen. Um, they may overuse particular players in their bullpen, but in terms of like the eight, the seven to nine guys that are in the bullpen, um, I would say they're not overusing them. All right. Um, Peter asks, what techniques do you use with your pitchers to keep them calm and relaxed? Ooh, um, that's a great question, Peter. I think that's the, um, that's kind of the new, new thing is breathing and meditation and, um, seeing things before you do them, um, visualizing. Um, I think that's how, um, that's how I keep calm. Um, having a plan, being process oriented, taking, making things internal, like, uh, the, the conflict, not the conflict, but the, um, um, the competitiveness is against myself. Like I'm trying to be better than I was yesterday. Um, as opposed to letting the external dictate my competitiveness where like I may execute a pitch down and away to the other team's best hitter and he may still hit it for a home run, but like I did my job, I was better today than I was yesterday. And so I think if guys can, obviously like it's tough when you lose a game and it's easy to say like, I'm, 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 I'm only concerned with the process. I'm not concerned with the results, but like that's, we're a results-based game. Um, but the more we can be process-oriented, the results will, t the, the results tend to be better. And so um, keeping guys on in that lane, in the process lane, um, tends to keep guys calmer because they're, they understand what they need to do. They understand what their strengths are. Um, they understand the plan. Now they just got to go execute. And, the, and part of that, part of execution, part of process is sometimes it doesn't work. And the other team, the other guys on the other side of the field, they get paid too. And right. they have a process and they have a plan that they're trying to execute. And so, um, yeah, that's, if we can just stay in that lane and that process lane more, then we won't ride the roller coaster of the uh, results lane. I will do one or two more questions. Benji asks, do you promote pitchers on the staff helping out other pitchers? Oh, yes, Benji. Absolutely. That is, uh, yeah, I hope, and this is kind of crazy for a pitching coach to say, but like, I want to, I want to coach myself out of a job. Like I want to make it, I want to make my players so good and so autonomous, like they can just take care of themselves. Right. Like that, that should, that should be every pitching coach's goal is if, if they're, cause I'm not the one out there throwing the baseball, like they are. And so they need to know, um, what adjustments need to make if, you know, a particular pitch isn't working that well. And most of the time, I'd say, uh, maybe not most, 70% of the time, 60 to 70% of the time, a lot of the things that you learn, you learn from your peers. And the coaches are more like, like guardrails or bumpers. And like, if, if some of the, you know, the talk starts to get 
completely out of whack, then we bring everybody back to center. But um, yeah, that's that's how we learn and grow is we we talk and um, you know how do you hold your change up? Oh, how do you hold your slider? I do this with my my index finger. Um, you know, my intent is here. I I try to throw that pitch um, middle inside and let it break off the plate. Like all those types of things are happening all the time. I actually have one final question. Which manager or coach has affected you or impacted you most in your career? Well, who do you think? Who do you say? Who? Did you say coach or player? Coach, player, manager, who 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 okay. gave you the most either guidance or affected you the most throughout your career? So many. Man. I have a I mean, I go on and on. I wouldn't I have so many people that I wouldn't be in this position. Obviously, like I'm a young man in a, uh, you know, being a pitching coach in the major leagues, that doesn't happen by accident. Like there's been a lot of people um, that have come alongside me. I'd say like going back to my 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 major league days, like being around Johan Santana, um, his competitiveness, um, talking about pitching to your strengths, like he could throw his change up whenever he wanted and so we're going to hit it. Um, I think about Chris Young, yeah, who's now the GM for the Rangers. Um, and I learned process, and I learned breaking down a hitter. He was not a velocity guy; he was a command guy, and so he had to he had to navigate a lineup a particular way. And I learned a lot from him. And I think about uh, maybe guys that are a little bit under the radar, like like Dylan G, um, who we were we were similar in a lot of ways, but he had we both had to overcome injuries and. Um, and then, and then like guys like Matt Harvey and, um, other guys that were kind of coming up during that time, um, you know, you learn what it's like to throw hard and how their bodies were working and going back to the previous question about talking to your teammates, like, you know, that's kind of where, um, you know, I started to learn, you know, some biomechanics stuff, trying to understand, like, I was only throwing 91, 92, why can't I throw? 98 99 um and trying to understand the differences between myself and someone else is it just genetics is it something i can be doing in the weight room like you start going down these these different avenues even as a player and like not even knowing what the future would hold you know nine years later now i'm a pitching coach like trying to help guys go harder so um yeah it's uh i'm very grateful for for um all the people that have kind of been in my life Oh, that sounds great. You mentioned Chris Young, who defeated the Mets in the 2015 World Series. We remember that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to bring that up, guys. <laughs> no, no. Oh, 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 all good. All good. Uh, no, thank you so much, Jeremy. Really appreciate you being on this show. Um, and uh, what, what's in store for you in the in the coming weeks uh, to, to get ready for uh, 2022? Yeah, I just spend time with my family. Um uh, with the holidays and then yeah we'll see kind of what happens with the with the lockout situation and um you know still planning for spring training and that whole thing takes some time to kind of um, iron out um, and then i'm sure we'll be getting um, staff members uh, manager and otherwise so there'll be i'm sure there'll be plenty of zooms and um talking on the phone and just preparing for the season like like we always do but um yeah now now's family time um try to spend as much time with my with my kids and my wife as, as possible and before the before the season fires up 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, wishing you a uh, happy holidays and happy new year. And uh, we'll, we'll be back on the Beat the Shift podcast uh, next week with a couple of episodes. You won't want to miss that. Once again, thank you so much, Jeremy Hefner, the pitching coach of the New York Mets, for joining us on the show. I'm Ariel Cohen alongside Ruven Guy, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.